I'm good now. Okay, there you go. All I need is uh, a music stand. <laughs> I'm <more> yours. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. Wasn't that just wonderful? You know, uh, we didn't talk before I was going to preach, did we? And tell you what I was preaching on. Isn't that interesting how the Lord just puts it together? Those last two songs, when you talked about God being good, it's interesting when you hear what I'm speaking on, how that just comes up. That's all glory to God. Amen? Hopefully both don't go on at the same time. <laughs> well, like I said, uh, we didn't really sit down and talk about what I was preaching on so they could choose songs accordingly, but I just feel the Lord is preparing our hearts for this message. There's nothing wrong with me telling the worship team what I'm preaching on at all, but uh, we didn't happen to do it. And uh, look what the Lord has done. He set us up. But most importantly, we're prepared for the planting of the word through the praise and the worship. Amen. So we thank God for that. Well, it's good to be with you again and at Warden, and we thank you for that update, Brother Peter, and we're looking forward to what God's next season is. But for now, we have a season together, and I'm enjoying it thoroughly, and I hope you enjoy it to half as much as I do. <laughs> next week, uh, when you come, what I want to do is I want to uh, share a message about one thing the devil does not believe. I think there's only one thing he does not believe, and I'll give you a week to think about it. See if you can figure out what the devil does not believe. <laughs> Leave it at that. Well, today I want to talk to you about a topic called the, the slippery place. If I was to tell you this morning about a prophet of God in the Bible who was uh, a person who nearly lost his faith. He was an anointed worship leader. He was a leader of thousands of God's musicians and singers. He wrote 11 chapters in the Bible. And uh, I'm so glad that he was transparent enough and honest enough to tell us today, many hundreds of years later, that he almost lost his faith and why he lost his faith. It kind of gives me encouragement, you know, that if a prophet of God, who is called a seer, could, could lose his faith almost then I think I'm quite susceptible too, aren't you? So let's take note as he talks to us. But before I preach from the Old Testament, there's a couple of verses that I'd like to refer to. I'd like you all to stand with me, and we could read it in unison together. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. We're talking to the Older Testament. See what it says? Everything. For, let's read it together. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Heavenly Father, we commit the word of God to you today. 
Lord, as we look at the Older Testament, we realize that uh, it is the Word of God. It is one Bible, and that your Word was given to us, as Paul the Apostle said, to encourage us, to give us hope that we might endure, to, to bless us. So God, we commit this Word to you. It is a warning to us at times as we watch how other people had their downfalls and their successes. Lord, we just pray that your Word will bless us today, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I was born and raised near Perry Sound. My grandfather lived a little bit northeast of Perry Sound, a place that's not around anymore called Balsam. And uh, it's a sort of beside McKellar and Broadbent. Doesn't that help you out a lot? <laughs> well, there was this road between uh, Balsam and uh, Broadbent. It was the main road called the East Road. And uh, the East Road is not much to see today, as you can see from the next picture. Uh, that's, Balsa, that's the East Road about two years ago. hasn't changed much. And uh, you can see it's more like a path. Well, I used to go walking down the path called the East Road uh, with my dad when we go hunting. And we would come to this big hill right off the beginning, at the beginning as we were making our way up behind the four acre, as we called it. And it was a very deceptive hill. It looked like a normal road. There was a rock on it that was bare most of the time and wet a lot of the time. And my dad would come to that rock every time. And he would say, you know, this is where Pa, which is what he called his dad, my grandpa, this is where my grandpa slipped and he broke the stock on his 32 special. And I would look at that spot and think, Okay, I guess it could have happened. Must have been worse back in those days, you know. And the next time I would go walking with my dad, he would stop and say, this is where Pa slipped and broke the stock on the 32 Special. Well, as it turned out, a little while later, I'm walking down there by myself, being pretty carefree, being careful but carefree. Wouldn't you know it? I slipped. It's such a deceptive place. It's just a rock. It's pretty steep. But you think you could step on it. And you think you can make it, but I slipped. After my father passed away, his brothers, younger brothers, would go back with me, and we'd be walking down the East Road. And uh, both of them that I used to hunt with, they would say, you know, this is the place where. <laughs> and they would tell me the same story. And I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> I slept there once. It was a reminder. <laughs> and uh, so I had four boys. I took all my boys back there one time or another went for a walk and said to them the same thing. This is where Grandpa <laughs> slipped and broke the stock on his 32 Special. Not their grandfather, their great-grandfather, you know, that kind of story. And uh, they would look at me, and I could tell they were thinking, sure, Dad, well, you just weren't being careful. Well, as it turned out, a couple of them slipped over time. <laughs> and this particular passage of Scripture we're looking at is a warning. It's a reminder in the Word of God that there's places that are slippery that we need to avoid. And so we need to keep in the Word of God. We need to read the Psalms as well as all the other parts of the Bible as a constant reminder to check up on us, to make sure that we avoid these places that are called slippery places. And so this message is taken from Psalm 73. There are nine wisdom Psalms in the Bible that Jewish children were told they needed to memorize. There are nine of them. 
The Psalm 1, Psalm 32, Psalm 34, 37, 49, 73, 111, 112, 128. The Jewish people took these nine psalms and said, you need to memorize them. So the little children would memorize them. They memorize a lot more than that. But 73 was one of them. Three of those psalms that are wisdom psalms, 37, 49, and 73, are psalms that answer the question, why is it that ungodly, wicked people prosper sometimes, and, and I don't prosper like them? I, life isn't as good for me. It's, these are psalms that we need to read in order to help us out in that way. The authors of the psalms, there's a number of them. Moses wrote the oldest one, Psalm 90. Solomon wrote the latest one, Psalm 72. David wrote most of them. Asaph and a couple of others wrote other, other psalms. Psalm 73 to 70, or 83, 11 of them are psalms that were written and authored by this man called Asaph. Well, who is Asaph anyway? We know he wrote books of the Bible. He was a singer. It says in 1 Chronicles 15, he was a chief worship leader. When I talk about worship leading, I'm talking about thousands of people that he would be leading worship for. He was also called a seer or a prophet. He was one that was honored in the book of Nehemiah when it says, in the days of David and Asaph. So he was well known and honored And of course, he was the author of these 11 psalms that we find in our Bible. In Psalm 73, Asaph makes reference to two places that are slippery. And he mentions the first one in verse 2. He says, but as for me, my feet almost slipped and I nearly lost my foothold. That's number one. And then down in verse 18, he says, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. But let's go back to verse number one of this psalm. Verse number one is what I call his theology. All of us have a theology, an understanding of what God is. And when we were singing, God is good. He is good. We all have an idea what that means to us, right? How is God good? It means something different to all of us. For much, many of us, Good means the same thing, but added with other things. And so this, it says basically in verse number one, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Surely God is good to Israel. You know what he's saying? He's saying literally, there is certainly one thing I know for sure. <laughs> That's what he's emphasizing. Without a doubt, there's one thing I can tell you right now, that God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. That, I've got sealed that, I sealed that up, that I know for sure. That's what you call the Orthodox Creed. It's a bit of an ideology as well as a theology, but it is a bit faulty because if you look at that verse carefully, it refers to the doctrine of the theory or reciprocity. In other words, If I'm good, God's going to be good to me. And if I'm bad, bad things are coming my way. And the Jewish people believe that, and for good reasons. You read in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, you will find that God says to the people of Israel, 
if you disobey me, you're going to become the tail. But if you obey me, you're going to be the head. I will bless you. Other nations will be blessed through you. But if you disobey, and the list for disobedience results is much longer. But that's how the Jewish people developed their theology of reciprocity. If I'm good to God, God's going to do good things for me. And if I do bad things, then bad things are coming my way. Well, it generally works that way, but it doesn't always work that way, does it? We read the Bible, and we find out that there were some people, like Daniel, or Joseph. My goodness, Joseph. How many bad things happened to him before some good things happened? And there was nothing wrong with what he was doing. As a matter of fact, I think he's one of the greatest models that there are in the Bible of someone who lived a good life. But his brothers betrayed him, and he was mistreated by them. He sold sold to their brother. All of that happened to uh, to Joseph. And then there are others that we could read about. Esther, Jeremiah, Paul the Apostle. Everything wasn't so rosy and good for Paul the Apostle. Some good people that did found themselves in some circumstances that were not necessarily that good. So Asaph starts off his psalm and says, Folks, this was what I believed. God is good to Israel. Surely, I'm, I'm convinced of that. And to everyone who is pure heart. That's his theology. I got it all figured out. I go from there. Then he opens up with some transparency. And he talks about his inner conflict based on this thinking and theory and theology. It says in verse 2, But as for me, Asaph, I almost lost, I almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. and They're free from common burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. And then it says, therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. Their ar- with arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, the people who follow them turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, ha! How can God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. They're always carefree. They go amassing wealth. Then comes that point in his life. This prophet. What's the point? What is the point of living a godly life? Surely, in vain, I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I have been punished <laughs> and every mor- and afflicted. And every morning, I wake up and there's new punishments. I look over the fence and my neighbor, he doesn't even know God or care about God. And look at the, he lives an easy street. I got to move over to that street <laughs> or whatever he's going to happen to be thinking about. I think we all have to be honest that there are times when we've felt, hmm, I thought serving God would bring a lot more benefits than I'm experiencing just at this particular time. And Asaph began to doubt the goodness of God. 
And I would like to say to you today that if it could happen to a prophet who was anointed, who wrote books of the Bible, who was renowned as a godly person, who was an anointed worship leader, then it can happen to me for sure and any one of us that are here. Amen? Would you agree? Surely. Well, verse uh, 15, Asaph confesses, I'm embarrassed. I can't explain my embarrassment. If I had spoken what I was just thinking, see, everything we read, he was thinking. He hadn't opened his mouth or written a psalm about it that said, you know, folks, it's not really worth serving the Lord anymore or something. You know, He didn't. He just thought about it. He said, if I had spoken out like this, I would have betrayed your children. Remember, he is a leader. He is an anointed person. He is inspired by the Holy Spirit to re- write the books of the Bible. And it says here, he says, if I had said that or written it, I would have betrayed your children. How many parents are sitting there and at times, as they've been serving God and following the Lord, there's times when they, the spouses looked at each other and said, what's the point? What's the point? They wouldn't say that to the kids, you know, but they're thinking it, or they're individually thinking it. Basically, Asaph says, well, shut my mouth. <laughs> I am so glad. <laughs> Imagine your pastor getting up on Sunday morning after he's had a bad time like Asaph obviously had. And he says, you know, folks, I've been telling you God is good and it's worth serving the Lord, but I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> well, he wouldn't last too long, would he? <laughs> he's embarrassed about even thinking like that. He says, uh, let me tell you why I'm embarrassed. Asaph's deliverance. This is just so beautiful. He says, when I tried to understand what was going on with my neighbor and what was going on with me, the ungodly and the godly, he says, it troubled me deeply. I tried to understand it until I entered the sanctuary of God. Wow. Verse 17. Don't miss it. When I tried to figure it out, And I looked at things through the natural mind. He says, it wasn't clear. He says, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood my neighbor's destiny. All of a sudden, he wasn't looking with envy on that person. He was feeling sadness and remorse because that person is lost. When you get into the sanctuary of God, what is the sanctuary of God? I believe for us, it's the word of God in prayer. It's being in the presence of God and living in obedience to him. That's being in the sanctuary of God. And so Asaph somehow neglected the sanctuary of God, but said, when I got in the sanctuary of God and I got alone with God and I started to worship God, my eyes were open and I got three visions. The first vision that he gets is the vision of the lost in verses 18 to 20. The second vision was of himself, and the last one is of the godly. But let's look at the ungodly for the lost, first of all. He says, surely you place them on slippery ground. The person who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ is living on slippery ground, folks. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one person awakes. When you arise, Lord, you'll despise them as fantasies. 
Oh, there's no more envying for the lost. Why did I even think that way? How could I think that way? I am a believer. I know the Lord Jesus Christ. We sung some songs today that talk about what Jesus can do for us that no other God can do. Amen. Hallelujah. And Jesus died for me, took my place on the cross. The vision of the lost. Talks about, in verse 18, the certainty of the doom. There's that word, surely again, A-K, ak, in the Hebrew. It says, well, this is one thing I know for sure. After getting into the sanctuary of God, this is what I know for sure. You place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 35, there's a little phrase taken from verse 35, and it's basically, is after Moses reiterates all the promises and tells the people of God to keep close to him over the years and centuries and or whatever. He says, if you decide to fall away and turn your back on God in due time, your foot will slip. Jonathan Edwards preached this famous sermon many, many years ago in New England. And he preached from that phrase. And he was talking about those that are not, that do not, do not know the Lord. He said, in due time, your foot will slip. He spoke to the backslider, and he said, in due time, your foot will slip. And it says that the whole, the, the, historically, this is the account. The, the, the sermon is called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You can get it online. This sermon came with such an anointing and such a power from God. It says that the people were convicted of their sins, and some of them grabbed a hold of the pillars that were holding up the roof in that big auditorium because they felt under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that they were slipping into hell. That's what, that's what happened when Jonathan Edwards spoke that particular passage of Scripture. The suddenness of the doom, the finality of the doom. In Romans chapter 11, it says, Consider therefore the kindness and the severity of God. Severity to those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in that kindness. Mounts is a translation, very good one. The past 20 years or so in the evangelical circles of all places, some well-respected biblical scholars have abandoned the historical biblical view of the existence of a literal place called hell. These scholars are not led to change their opinion because of the impulses of scripture or some new light on scripture but often by the impulses of culture upon them and the impulses of their heart shaped increasingly by the culture. We just need to read the Word of God, folks, <laughs> and determine for ourselves what hell is and what, if it's real or not. Just read the Bible. Well, Asaph said, that was my vision. <laughs> I envy the person who I now pity. I pray for him. I hope he turns his heart to God. Then he has this vision of himself. Kind of interesting. He says, my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. His heart was grieved. His spirit was embittered. Malcolm Smith in his book called Spiritual Burnout refers to this word embittered to describe an angry state of mind. Resentment against God for letting things be the way they are. It is accompanied by an amnesia. 
that settles in our minds concerning the blessings of God that he has showered upon us in the past. Basically, Asaph said, you know, I had this vision of the lost. Changed my mind. Then I had a vision of myself. And he said, you know what? I am just a dumb, grass-eating ox. Right? The sanctuary of God. Oh, that's all. Oh, that's such a downer, those two things. The third part of the vision was a vision of the godly. And look what he says. He says, yet I am always with you. Hallelujah. <laughs> you hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you're going to take me to glory. Amen? Always with me. God is always with me. Hallelujah. He's always there. Asaph said in the next psalm, God, yours is the night, but yours is the day. <laughs> You're the God of all good times and tough times. You hold me by your right hand. I remember as a kid, we'd go in the winter to my other grandfather's place, and uh, they li he lived a little ways off of the road, no snow plows to get to the house in those days. And uh, so Grandpa had a tractor, that was good enough. But so we had to walk from the main road, oh, I don't know, uh, less than a quarter of a mile. And on one side it was a few trees, the other side was just bush. Pitch dark, those street lights of those days, pitch black at night. And the wolves were just singing and howling around us, especially on my my right side, especially on that side. And so when I was walking along as a little boy and heard those wolves, I mean, I was terrified. You would be too, even today. I would still be terrified with the noise that they were making. And so I got over to my dad's other side, away from the right side, and my dad held me. And it says, you hold me by your right hand. Isn't it wonderful? Jesus, God Almighty, holds us by our right hand. Hallelujah. And then you guide me with your counsel. Isn't that wonderful? You guide me with your counsel. This book is marvelous. We need to read it all the time. We need to meditate upon it. The first wisdom psalm says, if you meditate on this day and night, God will bless your life. You'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in his season. Hallelujah. Read the word of God. He, he guides us with his counsel. I read this week about a, a gentleman who, you know, said a couple centuries ago, a coal porter. He's a person who traveled around selling Bibles and books, often Bibles and tracts and spiritual books. So this coal porter is, is uh, accosted one night, I should guess, by this thief. And the thief at gunpoint told him that he wanted his books and he ordered him to burn the books. And as he want, told him to burn the books, this particular person, uh, the coal porter, took the, the, uh, the Bibles and he's just before he threw it in, he says, I, I want you to read something. So the coal porter was a Christian. He said, I'll be smart. So he read Psalm 23. And the thief said, that's a good book. Don't throw it in. We went to throw, throw that next one in. Now let me read a bit first. So he read to him about the Good Samaritan. No, that's a good book. Throw it in. Don't throw it in, I mean. Keep it. 
and he went through, and he, well, three or four times this happened, read to him the Sermon on the Mount. He said, well, that's a good book, we'll keep it. Then he grabbed all the books, and he took off in the night with the money and the books. And many years later, the colporter came along, and he found the thief, the, the former thief. And you know what he was? He was a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and he says he attributed this change in his mind to reading the word of God. Hallelujah. The word of God is so powerful. This morning, I'm speaking. I'm just a man. But God is acting because this is his word. So today, man speaks, God acts. That's a miracle. We say we want to see a miracle around our altars. A miracle happens every time the word of God is preached. Hallelujah. And so he says, you will guide me with your counsel. Well, and if that's not enough, always with me, holding my right hand, guiding me with his counsel, and just to kick, it, kick in a little bit extra, and afterward, he's going to take me to glory. Hallelujah. <laughs> I mean, those four things are so amazing. But for some reason, Asaph forgot about them. He had amnesia because he didn't spend time in the sanctuary of God. And so the message today is, there's a slippery place. And if you don't keep in the sanctuary of God, you'll find yourself on slippery slippery ground, and you will find that you will have amnesia. You'll start thinking thoughts that are ridiculous to you right now as you consider that he's always with us, that he holds us with his right hand, he guides us by his counsel, and afterward he's going to take us to live eternally with him. Hallelujah. I mean, it's just wonderful what we have offered to us through Jesus Christ who paid it all. You know, the last time I was helping out in between pastors at a church, I was uh, praying and uh, as I was praying, and I didn't get raised in the church, so I didn't know the hymns, you know. It was later on when I was pastoring that uh, I took the hymns and I read them. I thought, these are rich, you know. So I started to memorize some of them. I never did memorize this one, but I remember singing it once or twice. And the thought came to my mind, beneath the cross of Jesus. Beneath the cross of Jesus. Well, I didn't know that hymn very well, so I looked it up online and listened to it. Hmm. And then I got the, the words. And the words in the first verse say, Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand, the shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land, a home within the wilderness, a rest upon the way from the burning of the noontime heat and the burden of the day. He's talking about being in the presence of God and it being like a wilderness. And then I came to number two. I stepped across the line. I was in the sanctuary of God. Did the words go up for this next verse, the second verse? I think they're there. Anyway, I'll read them to you. Upon the cross of Jesus, my eye at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there. And from my smitten heart, with tears, to wonders I confess, wonders of his glorious love and my unworthiness. I was in the sanctuary. That's all that mattered. And all of a sudden, I was broken. All of a sudden, any things that were bothering me just left. I was in the presence of God. 
Hallelujah. We come to church for instruction, yes. We come to church to get into the sanctuary of God, experience the presence of God. And when we experience the presence of God, we see clearly, hallelujah. We see Jesus on the cross. We see the things that he has promised us are real. We see that the trials and tribulations of this life are not worth worrying about and being concerned. Another hymn with a beautiful verse is an old one that a lot of us know it as well with my soul. The verse that touches my heart is the one that Horatio Spafford wrote. You know, Horatio lived over here in the sanctuary of God. Horatio was a songwriter, obviously. His wife and four daughters were on their way to Britain from the U.S. On the way over, there was a shipwreck in the Irish Sea, and four of his daughters drowned. The news came back, just a short telegram, something like this. All is lost but me. That was his wife writing to him. He sat down and he wrote this song. Because he was over here. <laughs> he was in the sanctuary. It is well with my soul. My sin, he had a vision. What happened to him? Me in a little way happened to him in a big way. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not part of it, but all of it, the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. <laughs> Imagine writing that after that news. It's only because he had a vision of God. Horatio Spafford. And he closes this wonderful confession song with a new awareness. And he says in the scripture, Whom have I in heaven beside you, and on earth I desire nothing else. You know, when you live over here in the sanctuary, you just get to that place, you're my treasure. You're my treasure. Whom have I in heaven but you? It's going to be great to see some of those saints, but it's you, really, God. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth... Right now, I don't desire anybody more than you. That's what it's like to live in the sanctuary of God. I talk to people often uh, that aren't saved, and we start talking about loving. They can't get their heads around the fact that my wife loves Jesus more than me, <laughs> and that I love Jesus more than her. <laughs> I love her, of course, but they can't get that through their head. They need to get into the sanctuary. They need to get off of that slippery ground and find their feet on the solid rock and put their faith in Jesus Christ and their life will be different. And they will then understand, oh, I love my wife more than ever, but I love Jesus more than her. Hallelujah. Whom have I in heaven but you? You're everything, Jesus. You're everything right now. In 2023, January the 15th, Jesus is everything to us. Hallelujah. So what do you do when you finally realize you slipped up? You change your theology. I've changed my understanding of God a few times, and I still have it getting revised in my own mind as I go through life. He renewed his allegiance to God. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my life, my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is tobe. It is good to be near God. 
I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I'll tell of all your deeds. It is taub. It is good to be near God. <laughs> the worship team is coming as we close the service in a few moments. John Piper is a Baptist minister in Minneapolis. Years ago, he came up with this phrase that I just love so much. It stuck with me. God is most glorified in me, in us. He is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Amen. God is glorified in your life when you're satisfied in him. You know how you get satisfied in him? Well, you get into the sanctuary of God. And it doesn't matter what wind of adversity comes your way, right? Amen? It's not if the storm comes along. It's when the storm has swept the righteous stand firm forever. Hallelujah. You know what happened to him? What happened to a lot of us? The postscript had become the letter, the main thing. Let me give you an example of that. Let's say I'm writing a letter to someone. I've just been saved for a short time. Dear friend, I have become a Christian. Jesus has forgiven me all my sins. He has filled me with peace and joy, such as I've never have could have imagined. He walks with me every day. He holds me by my right hand. He guides me through the Bible and the Holy Spirit. One day he's going to take me to heaven, to a special place he has for me. Sincerely, Tom. P.S. P.S. Postscript. Not only has God done this for me, but after I became a Christian, I started to tithe. And you wouldn't believe the blessings, financial blessings that came to me when I started to tithe. That 10% is stretched amazingly, getting promotions at work. More than I could ever imagined. Last month, my little daughter was healed of an awful disease when we prayed, instantly healed. By the way, that's what happened. That's the postscript, folks. What happens when the daughter doesn't get healed? What happens when you tithe and things don't work out? Well, that's just the postscript. Generally speaking, that's the way it's going to work, but not always. But the main letter is, hallelujah, he's with me always, amen? He's with me always. He holds me by my right hand. He guides me with the precious best friend, the Holy Spirit, who wants to do nothing but tell me about Jesus and glorify Jesus. And someday he's going to take me to be with him in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. The worship team is coming to sing a song. As everyone's just out there, could you bow your heads with me? The blessings, yes, they come. But when they don't come, we can live in the sanctuary because we've got great things happening for us. Slippery places. We're going to just open up the altars today as the worship team comes. If you have to leave when this worship team is finished, then you feel free to leave, of course. But we have cafe, right? Cafe. Connect. We want to connect with you. So if you want to go out there, connect. Or if you just want to talk to God. Some here might need to make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. You're on slippery ground. You're not sure if you die today. 
exactly where you're going. Well, let's settle the matter today. Amen? Let's get that sorted out. And others just may come and be like Asaph and want to stand there and dedicate themselves afresh to God and say, Lord, I got to get away from thinking about the postscript, the main thing. Amen? So as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, how many here today would raise their hand by so saying, I need to become a Christian. I, today I want to give my life to Jesus. How many here would raise their hand and say, that's me? I'm looking, I just want to, don't want to embarrass you. I just want to know who you are. I see one hand. Are there others here? How many others here just raise their hand? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many say, yeah, I've been living in that first slippery ground that the Christian lives on. I'm starting to think about things that weren't right. Would you pray for me? Raise your hand and put it down again. I'll pray for you. Thank you. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, today we give the Word of God to you. Pray for those that raise their hands. May you bless them, Lord Jesus. May you encourage them, Lord God. It's your Word that changes. The Holy Spirit, empowered Word that changes our lives. Bless your Word to our hearts. Glorify your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless the worship team. Lord, may this song bless each one of our hearts. Bless our time as we spend time in Cafe Connect, getting to know one another. Bless us together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the worship team comes, if you would like just to be prayed for or just to pray to God and you want to come while others go to the Connect after the worship team, go ahead. God bless you.